This is Stenna. Thank you for tuning in to the Identity in Me podcast, which explores the ways in which people experience different aspects of their social and personal identities. This episode is brought to you by ERI Design, a boutique marketing agency with offices in Worcester, Mass. and Portland, Maine. My guest for this episode is Jeffrey Wong, who is a college counselor at Phillips Exeter Academy. He joins me to discuss what it was like for him growing up biracial in the Northeast. Enjoy the conversation. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you already know that I bring heavy hitters on for these conversations, and today is no different. I've been thinking about how people experience being biracial or biethnic, so I reached out to my guest today to see if he'd be willing to offer a perspective. Having known this cat for a few years, I can tell y'all that he's extremely intelligent, articulate, and witty. He also knows bourbon and whiskey like nobody else that I know. Jeff Wong, thanks for joining me. How's it going? Hey, Stan, I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm a little bit concerned that you've laid out so many kind superlatives. I do not feel I can live up to them, but I appreciate you uh, having me on as a guest. You got this. And in terms of being one of the funniest people I know, um, I've been telling him for years that he should be doing stand-up because, one, he's just really witty and low-key funny. Like, you'd never expect it. At least I didn't, but most of the time I'm with him, I find myself laughing. Yeah, maybe after a few bourbons, maybe I'll be open to doing an open mic night. <laughs> so who put you on to bourbon and whiskey? How did that come about? Maybe 10, 12 years ago, I took a bourbon tasting class when a friend asked if I wanted to go to a local liquor store and do that and uh, really got into it. So uh, yeah, definitely I like uh, like bourbon neat, like bourbon cocktails. Um, I just, I, I appreciate the flavor of the beverage, like the process, the stories. Um, Something about something that takes eight to 10 years to age in oak that really uh, imparts some unique flavor. So uh, it's a fun drink. Uh, so were you drinking bourbon and whiskey in college? Uh, no, no, not not on a regular basis. <laughs> okay, all right. Because I was going to say your experience in college was far different than mine. <laughs> and I just want to make it clear to our audience, we didn't drink like that in college. I'm just saying, you know, every so often people imbibe in in that setting and i know i sure as heck was not drinking whiskey and bourbon um the stuff that i had access to cost a lot less because i was a low income college student i was drinking the cheap stuff natty ice (laughs) (laughs) i remember drinking some state vodka literally it was called state vodka um my senior year of college and i woke up with the chills and I learned that you're not supposed to drink that stuff. Um, and that's why they sell a handle for seven dollars. <laughs> you're lucky you still have your eyesight. <laughs> right. Hey, have you ever seen a handle of whiskey or bourbon going for seven dollars? 
I don't think so. Uh, if I did, I, I don't think I'd be partaking in that. Okay, I'm happy to know that. I'm happy to know that. And for the people out there listening who are now curious about bourbon and whiskey, what are some recommendations you would make for them? So somebody who wants uh, a good experience with whiskey or bourbon and is willing to spend, uh, let's say, 50 to $60 on a bottle. Yeah, um, so I would say my favorite for around the $60 price point um, is Russell's Reserve Single Barrel. Um, it's kind of one of the premium products from Wild Turkey. Um, it's outstanding bourbon, uh, usually aged eight to 10 years in oak, um, has great flavors of cinnamon, brown sugar, caramel, uh, nice oak on the finish. Um, it's just a really smooth sipping bourbon with still a lot of flavor, a lot of character to it. Um, it's it's delicious. Every bottle I've had has been great. Did you rehearse that response? <laughs> like, that was really good. We, we need to send this episode to them. <laughs> yeah, maybe you can get a sponsor. Okay, yeah, seriously. Yeah, uh, Identity in Me is brought to you by Four Roses Bourbon, a bourbon that will get you talking about who you are in no time. All right, and something that, like, if a person wasn't willing to spend 50 or $60 and wanted to come in somewhere in the $25, $30 range. Mm, yeah, for that, I would recommend, um, I mean, Similar to Russell Reserve, um, Wild Turkey 101, it's sort of their flagship product. Um, 101 proof age, generally, I think, probably around four to six years. Um, so not quite as much complexity, not quite as much character, but it tastes great neat. It tastes great in a cocktail. It's my go-to cocktail bourbon. Um, uh, that's a really nice kind of entryway into bourbon. Gives you those classic bourbon characteristics. Um, helps you kind of understand what bourbon's all about, and then you can branch off from there. But yeah, if you're new to the spirit, I would say... Uh, Wild Turkey 101 is great. Um, Elijah Craig Small Batch, also a really nice bourbon to kind of get into it. That was the first bourbon I ever bought was Elijah Craig Small Batch back when it was uh, 12 years old. Um, that's a great way to kind of get into get into bourbon a little bit. Thank you for those recommendations. I haven't even had those drinks and I have a little bit more funds now than I did back in college when like literally I was brushing my teeth with baking soda on uh, on occasion. Not often, but baking soda is actually not bad to brush your teeth with, let me say. Um, you know, this conversation about alcohol really ties in well with what I typically discuss with my guests who come on the podcast and it's different aspects of how people identify. And again, when I was in college, I didn't have much to spend. I didn't have a lot of money and a lot of my friends didn't either. So we drank what we could. And so we all identified as being of low socioeconomic backgrounds or our money situation was not tight. That's a simple way of putting it. So we drank whatever was available. And these days, I don't drink the things that I did in college. But anyway, we're here to talk about how you identify. And specifically, we're having a conversation about multiracial identity. And thank you so much for being willing to come on and talk about your experience growing up biracial. And so before I continue and, and, and ruin your response, uh, how do you identify? Uh, I identify as multiracial Asian Jewish, um, more specifically Chinese Jewish. Got it. Okay. So in this case, you are referring to being Jewish as an ethnic identity as opposed to a religious one. Can you explain that? Yeah. Um, and that's actually been something that's been a bit of an evolution for me. Um, so um, my dad's side of the family, the Chinese side, kind of all ancestors came to the U.S. from China. On my mom's side, um, her great-grandparents, or her grandparents, I should say, um, my great-grandparents, they emigrated from Russia. Um, they were Russian Jews. Um, but being a 
diaspora group uh, as Jews, um, you, you don't always identify with the country your grandparents came from in a way. So, um, you know, my my great grandparents um, fled Russia, fled um, discrimination and oppression in Russia because they were Jewish. Um, they weren't really considered part of Russian society. They weren't considered ethnically Russian. Um, and I've even <laughs> to this day, I've had, uh, you know, I've had Russians tell me before, oh, you're not really Russian, you're Jewish, um, which felt insulting. Um, but I've kind of taken it to be okay, well, if you reject me, I'll reject you just the same. So sure. um, and kind of thought about it, though, it is, you know, interesting, though, being kind of this diaspora group that's moved around throughout the world. I, I just haven't really identified recently with being Russian as much as just that I'm part of this Jewishly, this ethnically Jewish group. Yanis Nayu, does that mean anything to you? Yanis Nayu, Yanis Nayu. Uh, that doesn't mean anything to me, sorry. Yeah, so um, I grew up or lived for a few years in Brookline and I knew some Russians and they taught me how to say I know nothing. So that's <laughs> Yanis Nayu. I don't learn the swears. I learned helpful phrases. Yeah, that's probably better. Okay, and I did learn a little bit of Hebrew from my Jewish friends and that I will uh, show off a little bit later, maybe, if the opportunity arises. All right. You mentioned Asian, you mentioned Chinese and Jewish. So Asian would be a racial identity. Chinese would be an ethnic identity. And Jewish could be religious or ethnic. Um, later on in the episode, actually in the closing, I'll define those um, because I try to keep the conversations relatable and non-academic and i don't want to go down that route right now but some people probably already get it so my question to you jeff regarding your multiracial identity um do you remember when in your life you began to see yourself as being biracial or multiracial did any events precipitate that and were you told to identify as such yeah so i, I would say that again has also been kind of a journey for me um you know i always knew growing up that i had I thought of it as kind of two cultures, I guess. I don't know if you even had the words for it as a kid, but I knew that, you know, my mom's family was a little bit different from my dad's family in terms of holidays, customs, um, the way they looked. Uh, so, um, you know, I always thought of it from that perspective, kind of just the lived experience. Um, I would say I didn't really think about, and again, I don't think I really had the vocabulary, but didn't really think of this concept of race as we know it uh, until the third grade. Um, and that was because it was the first time I, was called a racial slur. Um, and that was where I think it really became clear to me, okay, there's something here beyond just my dad looks different from the other dads, or my dad's family, my mom's family are kind of different uh, in terms of their customs. That was where I think this idea of race and kind of racial categorization first became clear to me uh, as an eight-year-old um, when you're facing racist bullying. Oh, boy, that's wild. Um, it's so often the case that I bring guests on, um, and most of my guests have marginalized identities. And when we talk about race, they often reflect about initial traumatic experiences that led them to uh, recognize their racial identity. And so uh, not surprisingly, you're telling me that when you were in the third grade at eight years old, you had an experience that led you to start thinking your about yourself as other or um, as your racial identity. And do you care to elaborate on the experience that you had? If not, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, I can share. Um, so 
Yeah, in third grade, um, around uh, Chinese New Year's, uh, my dad came in to talk to the class about Chinese New Year's customs, traditions, um, brought in uh, some different kind of artifacts, outfits um, that you would have to celebrate traditionally. Um, and then after that, um, some of the kids in class started calling me racial slurs uh, out on the playground, which makes you wonder, you know, where did they learn racial slurs at eight years old? Um, I'm going to have to guess their parents. Um, I don't know for sure, but... It didn't really matter to me all that much as an eight-year-old, uh, just the fact that I was being bullied based on my race out in the playground. I'm sorry you had that experience. And did you tell anybody, were your teachers the type who sought to infuse diversity into the curriculum, or were there any sort of anti-bullying efforts that you recall? Hmm. I, I, I didn't tell anyone about it. Um, you know, there was definitely... I think anytime you're a kid being bullied, it doesn't feel great. Uh, and I think that the sense of kind of embarrassment and shame compounds a lot when you're being bullied based on something based on your identity, um, especially um, for me, at least. Um, so I, I didn't tell my parents. I didn't tell any teachers. Um, I, I, As far as whether my classmates were prepared for that kind of conversation, I'm honestly not sure I could answer that. Um, I don't know if it was a thought process um, for my teachers of how to prepare them for that. I don't know if it's a thought process for my parents of whether kids would be ready for that. I think they probably have the assumption that kids are eight, they're pretty innocent, they're pretty nice, they're gonna be pretty open-minded. Um, turned out not to be super true, um, but uh, yeah, I don't remember if my teachers really prepared anyone for the conversation. We didn't talk about uh, race or different cultures, really, uh, in school growing up. Uh, my teacher certainly did. And uh, maybe, you know, a couple of teachers in high school did a little bit. But really, I was not until college till we talked about any sort of kind of multiracial, multicultural aspects of society. Um, so, yeah, there weren't a lot of conversations about race or being different um, unless it was someone's parents wanted to talk about it when I was in elementary school in kind of a predominantly white area. Um, as far as why I didn't tell anyone, um, I, I was kind of a quieter, shyer kid on the, in the first place. Um, I felt pretty alienated. I felt like I didn't really have it on my side when kids were calling me racial slurs in the playground and no one was standing up for me. Uh, yeah. No one was doing anything to stop it. Um, I didn't want to compound it by telling on them and then being the kid who tells other people and uh i think there's also just a lot of real embarrassment alienation and shame around facing racism as an eight-year-old yeah yeah and so um you would agree that this matter of no news means good news is rubbish <laughs> yeah i think that that comes from people who've never experienced racism before yeah um i get really annoyed when i hear folks say stuff like you know um but my students haven't told me anything. I mean, everybody's getting along. And so where opportunities arise to ask questions, to probe and teach, I strongly encourage teachers to do that. So, Jeff, my next question for you is, did you ever feel like you had to choose one aspect of your identity versus the other in terms of race and ethnicity? Yeah, I don't know if I would say... I, I've been made to feel like I had to choose, um, but there were definitely times where I probably felt some pressure to play up one side a little more than the other. Um, thinking specifically like in this conversation, in this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> like, let's talk about race. No, talk about it. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about the white Jewish side as much. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, nah. <laughs> talk about uh, it no. all. <laughs> um, but I would say, you know, definitely times where like being in like an Asian or Asian American affinity group. I definitely felt a little more, I got to play up the Chinese side, um, you know, being in Hebrew school growing up. Okay, let's 
play up the Jewish side a little bit more. My experiences with that, I'm um, just trying to fit in, you know, think about those sort of, you know, remember talking about in grad school studying sort of in-group, out-group attitudes and why the psychology is there of wanting to fit into a group. I think that definitely played a part growing up and even, you know, in college um, in different affinity groups or spaces trying to fit in in that way. So um, I would say, I don't know if, I don't think it's ever made me feel like I had to try to play up one side or the other, but I definitely, in an attempt to try to fit in, um, probably felt like I had to play up one side a little more than the other. Um, and that's one of the things that I think is really interesting about being multiracial is that in most places, you don't really feel like you fit in. Um, you know, you go to an affinity group and most people are of one singular race of that race. Um, it wasn't until I was, you know, I think 33 or 34 when I went to the people of color conference and went to the multiracial affinity group where it was like, oh my gosh, a room of people who are kind of like me, you know, and it was different combinations, different races, but everyone there was mixed. Everyone there was multiracial and had that same sort of identity and understanding of what it's like to never really feel like you fit in based on your racial identity. What cues lead you to decide which way you want to go in a situation? And as you think about that, I want to reflect on this question um, aloud. My parents are both from Haiti. Um, I was born here in the United States. And for a long time, I identified as Haitian American. But these days, I identify more so as Black because when I'm walking down the street, there isn't a sign on me that says Haitian and I'm not looking to get special consideration because I'm Haitian versus African American. I just identify with my racial identity, which is Black. But I know that when I'm in a space in the inner city with more Black people, my voice has to come down an octave in order to be taken seriously or treated as I want to be treated. I don't want people to regard me as corny. Yes, corny. So if I sound like this, you know what I'm saying? Um, if I talk a little bit slower, people won't see me as corny. But if I am on campus, I'm in a meeting, unless it's really early in the morning, where I sound like this, and you've heard this before because we've been at the same table before, and I'm like, I ain't trying to be Barry White right now. That's just how my voice sounds in the morning. Uh, but more often than not, I find that reflexively, my, vo my voice goes up an octave. And this isn't just something that Stena does. I have talked to other Black folks who say, oh, yeah, depending on who's in the room, my voice changes. I, I alter my intonation because I have a recognition of how people will, will receive me. And so for me, the cues are race overwhelmingly. So when you enter a space, what are your cues for what which side of your identity to play up? Yeah, I would say, um, I mean, definitely race a little bit, you know, in a room um, with more Asians. And I was definitely, oh, can we play up the talking about Chinese New Year's and talking about my dad's side of the family and stuff like that. Uh, talking about food a little bit. Um, you know, I think uh, religion, ethnic identity is Jewish also plays a part. You know, when I was hanging out with my Jewish friends in college, it's definitely a little more, oh, let's let's watch Curb Your Enthusiasm. Let's, let's make Seinfeld jokes and, uh, you know, kind of embrace that kind of culturally Jewish side of me. Um, I'm at a point now where I try not to change that much and try to just, as much as possible, to just be who I am, this kind of blend of different cultures, identities, races. Um, and uh, it's not always easy and it's complex. And especially I think part of it is when you're multiracial, you often don't get read as that. I think for multiracial people, 
it's hard because you're concerned about how you're getting read oftentimes. Sure. Um, a lot of people don't look like what they are. I think it's hard for people to look at me and say, hey, are you half Chinese and half Jewish? Um, you know, I've gotten read as Mexican. I've gotten read as Middle Eastern, Indian, wow. um, sometimes Chinese, sometimes Jewish. Um, but people aren't often guessing, oh, are you a mixture of multiple races? Uh, and I think that happens for a lot of multiracial people where you get read something that maybe is one part of your identity or maybe is not your identity at all. Um, and so I think there's often that thing in the back of your mind of, can I give cues to let people know what I am so I'm not being read in a different way? Um, I've definitely felt in spaces where I walk into an affinity group, whether it's for people of color or for Asian people, I feel like sometimes I have to kind of drop quickly something about who I am, my identity, so they're not like, oh, did this person who's not part of this identity come into the wrong group or who are who are they right now? And um, you're often worried about how you're getting read, I would say, if you're multiracial. That's, that's so interesting. There's this kind of running joke among Black people about like having a Black card or not. And so like if you've watched Coming to America, Harlem Nights, if you're familiar with certain cultural things, then you get your Black card, especially if you know the electric slide, uh, you know, automatic. You get your, your, your Black card um, and that card can be revoked. So um, this is a long way to asking, do you feel as though or is there like a Chinese card or Jewish card? D does that exist? Is that something that folks talk about within those groups? Well, not in the same way, I would say. Not Probably not quite as pronounced, um, but definitely there are sort of aspects of culture on both sides where you talk about it a little bit. You know, there are things like in some Chinese communities, people joke about getting a B is like an Asian F. Um, and, uh, you know, I think being Jewish, especially, you know, Ashkenazi Jewish, where you're coming from Eastern Europe, um, yep. Eastern European Jewish, people talk about things like anxiety, sense of humor. Um, I've even heard of people joking about Ashkenazi tummy, where you can't handle certain like foods or dairy products, things oh, like that. Okay. Um, there, there's bits and pieces, but uh, yeah, I don't think there's like at least I haven't heard of like a Jewish card or a Chinese card in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. The black card is a thing, man. I have it in some settings and I don't in others because I have yet to watch Harlem night and I don't know how to do the uh, electric slide as a reflex. True story. I got to learn. Well, if you went to more bar mitzvahs, you'd probably know how to. <laughs> they do the electric slide at bar mitzvahs. Regrettably, they did when I was growing up, at least. <laughs> you can do it. All right. Okay, did you talk to your parents about any of this stuff? And um, how did they actively play a role in nurturing your racial and ethnic identity development? Yeah, I think both both my parents tried to really make sure I was educated about each of their side of the identity. Um, I think for them, you know, they were still feeling out what it was like to have biracial kids. Um, so I think it was harder for them to talk about what it was like to be biracial because they hadn't had that experience. But they were really good about trying to make sure that me and my brother were educated about each side of our identity. So, you know, from my dad trying to, you know, make sure we we're celebrating Chinese New Year, spending a lot of time with the Chinese side of our family, going back to Chinatown where we had a lot of family living when I was growing up. Um, definitely got that side of the identity. Uh, and then my mom's side, you know, I, I grew up going to Hebrew school, celebrating Jewish holidays um, and really learned about that side of it. So, I think they both tried to um, really kind of instill um, the different aspects of uh, what our kind of ethnic and cultural identity was. Um, but I think they couldn't necessarily articulate what it was to be biracial um, in the same way that I now who have friends who are biracial, uh -huh. they can do it because they didn't have that lived experience. Yeah, yeah. 
So did your folks talk about race, racism and anti-Semitism at home? Yeah, somewhat. I, I, you know, I think as I was getting older, they talked about it more. Uh, I think they just didn't necessarily want to think of it as age appropriate at a young age, um, as unfortunately found it to be. Um, but as I got older, we've talked about it a little more. I think it was more kind of cultural at the beginning, but definitely talked about anti-Semitism a fair amount when I was growing up with, uh, you know, my mom would talk about that and talk about different kind of anti-Semitic acts that had happened or incidents that had happened. Um, as I've gotten older, I've talked definitely with my dad more about race and being a person of color and racist things that we, we've each faced in life. Sure. Um, we talk about that a little more, but I would say it's been more adult conversations around that than it was as a kid growing up yeah i um i share that experience in common with you growing up other than my aunt and uncle telling me when i was like five years old that the next door neighbor was a racist in general we didn't talk about racism at home and i still remember watching an episode of the cosby show and seeing the family gather around the television to listen to or I'm sorry, to watch a speech by Dr. King, a recorded one at that, because this would have been in the mid to late 80s. Um, so the family got together to watch this recorded speech. And there were these very intentional episodes where um, Heathcliff and Claire would talk to the children about race and racism. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, my parents don't talk about these issues I wonder why, but I never had the courage to ask them why or why not. And anyway, while I'm on this topic of media, um, I often have exchanges with people who come on the podcast about media and how it influenced them growing up, specifically sitcoms. So in this case, I talked about The Cosby Show, and that was my lens into the African-American experience. I'm thinking about representations of multicultural or biracial families growing up. Uh, the only example I can think of was a show in the early 90s, and I can't even remember the name of it because it wasn't around for long. It was on Fox News. No, whoops. On Fox. <laughs> not Fox <laughs> News. It was on Fox. It was on for a few months. It was a black man who was married to a white woman. They both had families separately, got divorced and came together. So it wasn't like they had biracial kids. It was just a blended family. However, other than that, I can't think of other multiracial or biracial families on television growing up. So the question to you is, do you recall any of those types of families on TV growing up? And if there was a show that you could relate to when you were younger, what show was it and why? Yeah, I, I certainly don't recall any shows with multiracial characters or families with mixed race kids. Um I can barely even think of any now as an adult. Um, I think it's still fairly rare. Um, I would say the only shows I could really identify with from a um, kind of ethnic identity perspective growing up are some of the shows with Jewish characters and kind of Jewish comedies, right? So the Seinfelds, the Curb Enthusiasms. Um, and that was really more in kind of a high school, uh, early college perspective. Um, Got to think about it from that. Uh, yeah, there's not that many multiracial characters. Um, I feel like for a lot of us in the multiracial community, we really get excited about celebrities who are multiracial. So yeah. now in my own mind, I just assign multiracial identity to characters who might not be because they're played by multiracial actors. So like in my mind, because Keanu Reeves is multiracial, John Wick, multiracial, mm. Neo from the Matrix, multiracial. I'm claiming them even if their characters were not necessarily intended to be multiracial. If you have a multiracial actor, 
you're a multiracial character. So I'm claiming Neo from The Matrix and John Wick is one of my own. Okay, so um, rewinding a little bit, you just mentioned you mentioned um, Kirby Enthusiasm, which I've never watched an episode of. Um, please good. don't take my whatever card. <laughs> I don't know if I get stripped of a card because I've I don't know if you have the Jew card to begin with, have we? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm Stena. Stena. Stena, sorry. <laughs> All good. I maybe have watched one episode of Seinfeld and you refer to those as Jewish comedies. What makes those Jewish in essence? What is Jewish comedy? Yeah, I think so. Jewish humor is something that's been talked about a lot. And I think that it's actually a little bit more broad than it's not a singular style of humor necessarily. Um, but I think it'd be attributed a lot to a lot of Jewish writers, Jewish comedians of different eras. But I think it's born out of this idea of having a sense of humor, even in the darkest times, um, you know, throughout our history, Jewish people have faced a lot of tough times. Uh, and I think that through it all, um, part of the culture has been trying to maintain a sense of humor through it all. And again, it might be a pretty dark sense of humor. It might be gallows humor at times, but, um, you know, really trying to see the light, see what can be funny, even in tough situations. Uh, and even in the mundane also, I think that's a big thing with Seinfeld and Kirby enthusiasm is finding what's funny and things that are kind of simple and otherwise mundane, as well as things that can be kind of on the darker side. Um, so I think it's that to me, that's kind of how I think about a Jewish sense of humor. See, I told y'all this cat is extremely witty and just very articulate as well. By the way, you don't take it the wrong way when somebody refers to you as being articulate, right? No, personally, I don't. Okay, all right, because not, like, not don't, you, don't tell me I'm articulate. I'm just telling you <laughs> yeah, right I'm, now. The, don't I'm not going to flip that around, yeah. <laughs> no, really, that response you just provided was so insightful and thorough. And I'm like, man, if he asked me about Black or Haitian comedy, I, I don't think my answer would sound as profound. I mean, like, have you answered this question before? And- and I guess, why are you so comfortable with that definition for Jewish humor? Yeah, I mean, I guess part of it is, I think some people might disagree with me a little bit. Um, but I think the thing about being Jewish, and I think it says about a lot of identities, is it's what you make of it. Um, yeah. And it's your interpretation of it. So um, I haven't given that answer before. Um, I did once go to a um, presentation on um, Kirby Enthusiasm and Larry David and Jewish humor. Uh, and there was a debate about what made that Jewish humor and whether it was Jewish humor. And some people um, who were Jewish said it's not Jewish humor and others were like, absolutely, that is Jewish humor. So for me, I think the thing about it is that, you know, being Jewish, it's not a singular thing. It's, it's a diverse group amongst Jews. Um, and so I think that for me, that's how I define Jewish humor from the Jews I've interacted with, relatives, friends, the Jewish culture that I've consumed. Um, that's sort of how I would identify uh, Jewish humor. And there is no parallel here for Chinese humor, you would say? Uh, not that I know of. There are some great Chinese comedians. Uh, Ronnie Chang is hilarious. Yeah, um, yeah. But um, I don't think it's a part of the culture in the same way it is for Jews. Big ups to Jeff for sharing his story on the podcast. During the conversation with him, I said that I'd come back to the difference between race and ethnicity, so here goes. Race as a category is a social construct that refers to physical characteristics, namely skin color. On many applications in the US Census, you're likely accustomed to seeing racial categories like Asian, Black, Caucasian, and Middle Eastern. 
ethnicity revolves around membership in a particular group that's based on shared culture and traditions. An easy way to think of it is essentially one's country of origin, but that's not always the case. Even though Judaism is a religion, many in the faith identify so deeply with the traditions that they also regard it as an ethnic identity. In Jeff's case, he's multiracial because his dad is Asian and his mother is white. Ethnically, however, he identifies as Chinese and Jewish. I hope you followed all of that. And I also urge you to follow the podcast on Instagram at identity underscore n underscore me. If you're a new listener, be sure to check out some other episodes and share it in your circles. Until the next episode of Identity in Me, keep reflecting. Identity and me.